get to know a farmer. If you don't know one, it should be a goal for your year. And just know one farmer. It's a wealth of information. You also have an opportunity to hear things and then ask the farmer, do you know anything about this? So it is a two-way street. Farmers listen. I just think that that is such a great opportunity for everyone, really, to know a farmer and for farmers to know us and what we care about very directly. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. People that listen to Farm to Table Talk know I'm really curious about what's going on with food and agriculture and like sharing those stories. Turns out I'm not the only one that does that. <laughs> and and I'm talking to Dana DePrima today. And and Dana, I'm anxious to visit with you some more now because you also are drawn to telling farmer stories and looking out for farmers and sharing it with people on a podcast and in other ways. I'm glad we have a chance to connect, Dana. I'm excited to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, thanks for the conversation. You are in northern New York, and I have a chance to peek at the colors that uh, in the in the background as we're talking here. That it's what a wonderful time to be in northern New York. So, Dana, tell me. Why is it that you're so interested in farmers and what's going on with the farm and sharing those stories with people? Well, I think that I will have to blame my interest on a very small flock of six chickens and one very small daughter. <laughs> ah, okay. Mainly because when my daughter was little, she's like, can we get chickens? We had just bought our farm that had been a farm many years previously uh, and had, I think, lived a number of decades without seeing a cow, uh, but it was definitely, you know, in the middle of farmland. And uh, yeah, so I got chickens and that sort of led me on this crazy journey um, to really walk what I call uh, one or two steps in the shoes of a farmer. I've got livestock here. I've got two adorable donkeys and goats. I've had chickens since 2010. I have ducks who are totally nuts and um, I have a, I have beehives and, and that kind of thing, a big garden. And I started out writing about it because I was experiencing so many new things and interesting things. And that blog that I started then, I guess it was in 2016, turned into a podcast called Talk Farm to Me in uh, 2019. And I started interviewing farmers really to hear their stories. And I've always really loved food. <laughs> uh, I have a lot of eaters in my family, but I've also care very deeply about uh, the environment and um, my family's health and sharing good food with my friends. And, um, you know, I love to entertain. And so just like the nexus of all of that, as well as like small rural communities and their strength really revolve all of the answers to questions about all of this revolve around farmers and small farmers ability really to be successful. And the more I interviewed farmers, this is what I learned, is that they are invisible to most people. 
go to the supermarket and you buy your food and that's where you think it comes from. I've had guests here uh, come, I give them a tour of my garden and I was like, see that plant over there? Go ahead, pull it. And they're like, excuse me, is it a weed? I'm like, no, pull it. And a carrot comes out and they're like freaking out because they really don't have, they're smart people. They don't have any idea how their food is grown or produced on a small scale or a large scale. And I just, uh, I really felt some sort of calling to connect people more closely with farmers, which through the podcast was, um, you know, really satisfying understanding these stories. And then about almost two years ago, I sort of took a step back and looked at what I was doing, which was, you know, it's a tremendous amount of effort, as you know, to create a podcast. And uh, I took a 35,000 foot view of all of that. And I said, you know what, this, I really need to do something that is going to help farmers and especially Mm -hmm. small farmers. And so I started a movement and a community uh, called For Farmers. And the whole mission is really to address that element of invisibility that our farmers confess to feeling that people don't really understand what they do. So the way that uh, Four Farmers operates is we share farmer stories. Um, We dispel myths about farmers and farming and we provide grants to farmers and we've done two rounds of grants. The first round was small. We did six grants. Uh, and this is across the country from Alaska to Maine and Texas to Iowa, Florida to Nevada. And the second round was 20 grants. So a big jump. And we are embarking on our third round of grants starting October 12th, which is National Farmers Day. And that is the day that everyone in this country has an opportunity to nominate their farmer for a grant. And a lot of people ask me, they're like, okay, so can a farmer just apply for a grant? I'm like, absolutely. You can totally apply for a grant if you're a farmer. You can find it on fourfarmersmovement.com and you can apply for a grant. But that's not the point. The point really is for you and me and our brothers and sisters and cousins to take a moment out of our day and say, I see you. Mm -hmm. You're a farmer. You're in my community. You provide me with the most delicious fill in the blank, apples, grass fed beef, milk, cheese, whatever it is. And I want to honor you with this nomination. It takes a couple of minutes. And really all you need is the name of the farmer, the name of the farm, their email, and voila, they've been nominated. And I'm telling you the hundreds of farmers that have been nominated, even the ones who did not get grants are blown away by the act, this act of kindness and generosity and of recognition for what they're doing. Boy, I've never heard of anything quite like that. Now, are you able to source the funding for these grants from other government grants or anything like that to pass on? Or do you have to do you get support from companies that, that want to help farmers? And um, how, how does that happen? Well, it's an excellent question. 
Um, because it's a community and a movement, the entire idea behind it, the spirit of the four farmers movement is that you, you, Roger, and like I said, all of our, you know, I have a lot of followers on Instagram or, uh, listeners to the podcast that we all make a $1 contribution to support farmers. One dollar. Mm-hmm. And we turn around to our friends and say, I just gave a dollar to support farmers and they give a dollar and so on. And that's really the spirit of it. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that often when I say, can you give a dollar to farmers? They're like, well, yeah, of course Uh, I can give five dollars. And that's amazing. And and what I I really believe is that we as citizens as eaters, as people who organize our cultures and our family traditions around food, that we need to honor the people who are making it and that it shouldn't be that hard. You Mm -hmm. shouldn't have to stop everything you're doing or give all of your dollars. But if you give a dollar and everyone else gives a dollar, that is really the centerpiece of the movement. Now, I have this summer in my upstate New York community, had the privilege of hosting events um, with some very generous, like a local inn. Uh, There's one coming up this weekend at a local brewery. Uh, A woman who is a virtuoso violinist approached me and said, can I host an event? Um, So we've been able to raise some money that way through ticket sales and whatnot. Um, I have two uh, corporate partners. One is O'Keefe's hardworking skincare. Uh, they make like hand lotion and foot lotion and they're great products for farmers. They actually are super generous with their products. All of the finalists for the grants will receive a box of hand lotion, foot lotion, um, just for, you know, just for applying and um, and then also out west, uh, Sutherland's Home Improvement Stores, they're also a partner. And I've worked with them for years. They're really, uh, really generous. And so some of the grants are supported by those two companies. But most of them are $1 at a time. Wow. That's so impressive. You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking about how when you go to the supermarkets anymore... My supermarkets usually ask, do I want to, you know, give certain amount to local homeless or something else, you know? And so you put the credit card in and then you usually get like one, two, three or four or five dollars. And I usually, you know, doing my dollar or two or something, no matter what I get at the at the store. And as you were saying, I like, you know, really, you could do something like that for farmers, too, for that for that matter. But it's exactly uh, it doesn't hurt anybody. One dollar really is something that pretty much everybody can do. Yeah, yeah. That's... I'm sure we all waste a dollar here or there. <laughs> so I'm curious. So have you done this now a few years? Yes. Well, uh, almost two. So what would be an example of somebody that that got the grant and what did they do with it? What's what's the success story that's behind it? I have to tell you, every single grant is a success story. These grants are, there are no requirements, meaning I'm not trying to tell farmers what they need to do. Farmers have plenty of needs and they are, I think among them and teachers in our, in our society are the best at stretching a dollar. 
And we ask them to think about what they need on their farm and how we can help them with a small grant. And what they come back to us with are uh, infrastructure, equipment. Sometimes there's a price spike in supplies like hay. They need fencing. They need lambing equipment, uh, all kinds of things like that. We've had, and, and they're not, this is not like headline sexy stuff, right? It's like between my two barns, there is a pit that we have to drive through every day and there's water in it. And we just need, we need some, you know, we need some support to be able to gravel this area so that our trucks aren't stuck, so that our kids aren't up to their, you know, waste in mud, that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, we have a review team of folks from across the country who are shopkeepers and artists and political consultants and grant reviewers for the USDA and farmers. And our review panel really gets together and we look at every single grant very carefully and with a lot of, well, a lot of heart. It's terribly difficult to make decisions because farmers are telling us this is what we need to get to the next level. This is what we need uh, to get through a rough patch. And um, it's really super helpful to have farmers on our panel because we look at a proposal and we're like, they just need hay. She goes, have you... Uh, do you know what the price of hay is? She goes, I'm an, I'm a farmer in Texas. Our hay is so expensive. And in Nevada, it's worse. So mm. and they're experiencing this in terms of climate and what have you. And so they help to shed a light on, you know, what farmers are saying in their proposals. It's, it's incredible. And it, it's heartbreaking to leave grant proposals on the table because we don't have enough money to fund all of them. I would love to have that dollar by dollar by dollar line up in a way that would allow us to fund all of the applications. In our last round, we had nominations from all 50 states. So that was, I think, a real testament to the idea that people want to help farmers that we want to get into the nitty gritty within our own states and support our farmers and make sure that they're not going out of business, um, that their farms aren't being taken over by bigger farms. We want to keep a balance between big farms and, and small farms. And um, that's what these grants are really designed to do. Wow, that's amazing. We should pause and remind people where they can get more information on the grant we'll we'll do it again before we're through here but but why don't you explain where uh, if somebody's listening to this and say gee i want to find out more about it maybe i want to apply for a grant where do they find that fantastic uh it is www.forfarmersmovement.com and all the information is there there are resources for farmers to help them with their application there's a place to donate a dollar. Uh, and there's really a, you know, an overview of the mission and the vision and how we're trying to achieve this, as well uh, as a blog that will I, I really try to help pinpoint, you know, some of the, you know, some of the hot button topics in 
uh, in farming and in the connection between the consumers who are, you know, pulling the carrot out of the ground and are mind blown and the farmers who are doing that on a daily basis and really trying to, you know, point out, you know, five easy ways to support a farmer or five mindset shifts that you could have that will help you be a part of, you know, a system that better supports farmers. Well, I'm all for what you're describing. It just sounds really, really great. Now, I'm trying to position, though, in what's happening in agriculture, because you mentioned earlier that you're kind of leaning towards smaller scale farmers, and it's hard for anybody to become a farmer. And what I run into a lot, I people that say, gee, I wish I could be a farmer. And, you know, I just can't. And that some do, because as you know, you've listened to some of my podcasts before. I have people that decided, okay, I've done it. I've been, you know, I've been in the city. I don't like it as much anymore. I really want to get back to the description you had of what appealed to you about a farm. And people said, if I could do just what would make me happy, I would have a small farm. I would have some livestock. I might have my family out on the on this farm. And that is perfection, even though I'm, in many cases, walking away from a better salary job. And then you got all these folks that are just trying to stay on a farm and can't unless they've got one or two other jobs off the farm. And, so I, and, I, and I find that a lot. Uh, it's pretty rare anymore if you come across somebody that's able to raise a family and on a small farm and live on a small farm that didn't make money somewhere else and decide that they could come back and they could, you know, and, and that's a little different. It's, uh, and then the others that uh, are just trying to hang on, like I said, then they are taking a job in town and sometimes uh, both partners have to go take a job in town and then they got to find time to do all the work on the farm. So it's, it's hard. It's hard. I think that is at the heart of a lot of the conversations that that I have with farmers, certainly the struggle, uh, certainly the financial struggle. Um, I share a lot of components of these conversations and facts on Instagram. I'm not sure if you're on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Besides my podcast, that's my big uh, my my big platform, I guess. But I share a lot of these facts and just. Just this week, I was sharing uh, information about the idea that older farmers are having a hard time for any number of reasons, transitioning their farm to the next generation. And often, you know, we've lost, you know, 11 million acres of farmland in the last 15 or so years. And there are a lot of people, like you said, younger people who want to get into farming or, you know, um, BIPOC and LGBTQ populations who want to get into farming and are finding that the availability of land and the affordability of land is so difficult. And so there was, you know, this conversation about like, okay, older farmers and how do we, how do we bridge that gap? Like, how do we get farmers who want to retire together with people who want to farm? And can we get creative about that kind of you know, land use so that our farms can stay in operation and move from one generation to the next. And I just think that the conversation with farmers about the stress of being, for example, like a fifth generation farmer and, you know, times have changed a little bit. So 
will I be the generation to lose the family farm? I mean, there's just so, it's so interesting and so heartbreaking, but our farmers, I mean, we need them desperately, um, Mm -hmm. whether we're super conscious of that or not. Um, And I just think like making sure we have more people who aren't farmers involved in the conversation around farmers to be so important. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I know people that have found those farms that are, say someone's on the verge of retirement and they would let people have land or or would help them get started. And I keep hearing those stories too, that somebody that has no land and doesn't have much money, but wants to work hard and they've lined up with someone said, well, wait a minute here, you can come and work this amount of acreage or you can put cows out here. You can put sheep out here. Right. And, um, and that's exciting. And then in fact, we had a guest, I think, that you heard on our show recently that was pointing out they were able to produce $500,000 worth of produce off of 19 acres. Yeah, uh, incredible. And it, it is in- incredible. And not everybody can everybody can do that. So I it's, that, uh, you know, I, I really appreciated what she was saying, actually, in terms of, you know, the amount of creativity it takes to be able to do that because i think like you know having a carrot farm if it's just carrots that's one market but if you're you know making you know other things you're making cheese you're making jam you've got an agro-tourism business uh you know it's like uh farmers have to be incredibly entrepreneurial in order especially the smaller ones in order to really survive yeah yeah and do everything and you know re- recycle what they can and in her case she was taking waste from kitchen waste and be able to use it to for compost and build the soil up and all of that and so you're right across the board they're very very creative so you shine a light on that creativity and you're encouraging people and and, and good for you that's and yes. i'm and in that transition when you started doing the blog you actually had a message that you wanted to start getting there. So was that when you were doing the blog, were you, were you posting something every week, doing a, a blog a week? I was. I, I When I started, uh, it was actually the suggestion of a friend because I would, you know, meet friends for dinner. And he was like, you know, people would be like, well, what do you do today? And then I would tell some story about the farm. And, you know, <laughs> he's like, these are insanely funny. You have to you know, write these. So I made a commitment when I started because, you know, it takes habit, right? It takes uh, effort to start a habit. And I, I blogged, you know, I had a post every week for a year, Um, kind of like, you know, a real commitment to myself and to the stories. And I felt from the very beginning that, and this was really before podcasting had taken off, I really felt like they were made for the radio. That was just a feeling I had. And so I kind of kept that in the back of my mind. And then, um, And then, you know, when I started my podcast, I mean, there's obviously a bit of storytelling involved um, in that. And with the folks that I was interviewing, um, you know, they had stories to tell, but I also wanted to make sure that I was teeing up their stories in the best way. And, um, you know, I've, I've met some, some of the most interesting, interesting people. So how'd you get into the podcasting though? Did you, uh, somebody tell you how to do it or you get online and just start, you know, playing with a little bit, find a microphones and do that. How did, how did you get to jump in? Well, um, I think 
the number one part was the desire to do it. Um, yeah. I found all of the technology and, you know, uh, audio editing to be incredibly, you know, like learning a whole new language. My first episode, I interviewed a friend who's a farmer and uh, she had taken over um, a dairy farm. She's a lawyer, a land use lawyer, and this dairy farm was in dire straits and she has a big heart and ultimately it made most sense for her to buy the farm and she converted it to a guinea hen farm. Her brother was a chef in New York City and she found that there was a market for really good guinea fowl in the New York City restaurant market. She's a real uh, she's a real spark plug. I mean, she had no qualms of walking into the like, most famous chefs kitchens and saying, I've got the best guinea fowl in the world. Yeah. So I interviewed her and then I interviewed the farm, the dairy farmer. And, uh, and um, I basically spent a, a lot of time kind of getting my feet under me with that episode. I still love it, um, but I've come a long way. I don't sweat the technology anymore. And I think at some point, like you just, find your groove. I mean, talk farm to me is, you know, a friend to me yeah. now. I just, you know, I still find some of the editing to be time consuming. Um, but I love talking to farmers and more now, I think, like I said, I'm on Instagram. I'm on, on there as XOXO farm girl is my handle. And I, when I share I share facts. I share farmer stories. I'll share about my podcast. Um, I share funny stuff that happens here on my farm, like my donkeys escaped yesterday. Um, but what I find there is that as I share these different facts and different stories is that I'm getting a lot of responses from farmers. And so there are farmers who have um, terrible problems with their local USDA and they need an outlet to really talk about what's going on. Or like I mentioned, this fifth generation farmer who's really super concerned about being the generation that loses the family farm. Um, and people have issues that they really want to talk about. They're young farmers and they can't find land. Their, you know, their grandfather is the family farmer and they don't mm -hmm. know what's going to happen to their land. So, so whatever the issue is, whatever side of the pie you're coming in on, on the farm issues, I think, you know, I'm finding those people and um, I think there are more stories to tell than I have minutes in the day. But I admire, too, that you've added uh, Instagram and other things that I think I'm just too lazy to do because I I really should be doing some of that. And I can't get into it. I, I love the podcast because well, I, I, I like that. It. It's a lot when you're doing a lot of things. And I. I look at it this way. Some people are going to be more interested in having a conversation with me because my donkeys are cute. Mm -hmm. Other people might like that. Um, you know, I do all the work here myself uh, and they have a, that farm dream that you talked about. Mm -hmm. Some people listen to podcasts and mm -hmm. don't like to read articles. Other people like, you know, I send out a weekly letter uh, to my subscribers. So some people prefer to read as you know, instead of listen. So everybody mm -hmm. has their interests and they all have their way. And what I try to do is to provide people with a hundred ways in to this one door. I want people to have more curiosity 
about what is going on in the world of farming and what is going on with their food. And I think that they should, you know, know that, but I want them mostly to be curious about it. And so I try to dangle as many carrots in as many different directions. Sure. And so I just call it a hundred ways in and the door is about understanding and, and supporting our farmers, which really comes back to us in droves because they're at the center of our food, our rural communities, so that they're not falling apart, so that our country can be knitted together well. They're, you know, uh, economic drivers, each and every one of them. And so, you know, all of those, all of those components, our environment, our soil, our land, all of those things that are important to everyone. So, you know, it's just like, what's the door you want to open to get into this conversation? You know, one door I'm not sure that we open is the larger scale agriculture. Uh, how, do, how do you grapple with that? Is this just that you're not going to be focusing in that area? Or because, you know, hogs and chickens in particular, some of the cattle feedlots, um, some of the Midwest that just have, you know, 10,000 acres of just corn and soybeans and so forth. As we speak, it just seems like they don't quite fit in this tent. Well, I think they do. Um, I think that there is a place for large scale farming and uh, and small farmers together. I believe that the large scale farming has gone a little too far in an industrial direction following World War II. And I think that there are a lot of small scale farmers who are by nature more nimble in experimenting with what can be successful. And I think that large-scale farming has a lot to learn from the innovations that small-scale farmers are uh, doing on the local level. I interviewed um, a poultry farmer from California who started with 50 chickens. And his goal is to produce a million chickens a year and to do it well. And he's well on his way. I think he's mm. at 250,000. <laughs> but um, he's been able to bring big ag along with him. So I think that there is an opportunity for big ag to really learn more about how we can do farming better. Uh, and when I say better, I mean healthier outputs, healthier inputs. And I interview large-scale farmers on the podcast, and uh, I, you know, I don't really have a horse in this race. I want us to understand farming better. I don't want to sit here in my kitchen and criticize farmers. I interviewed Joel Salatin. He's like, well, there are good farmers and there are bad farmers. I think they all have an opportunity. They're all producing food or fiber or fuel for us. And I think that we have to be a part of the conversation. One thing I like to remind my readers and listeners and followers is that we have a very powerful voice. The little labels on your chicken box that say free range or organic or any of that, anything that that little chicken, cart, chicken egg carton says, uh, that was created by consumers. We have the power to make changes in how our food is produced and how our land is cared for. And so I'm not giving grants to large-scale farmers. I don't have the kind of money that could help them. But 
I do have a message and I really take that message off the small farm and and even large scale farmers who are really trying to go back to how we used to farm to do it better, uh, cleaner, healthier. Um, you know, there are some really incredible efforts out there and I want to share that. Boy, that was a good answer. And I think that it reminds me, I've had conversations with Joel Salatin before, and I agree with you and with him that there are, you can find good farming at all different levels and sizes and scales, and you can find some that could do much better than they're doing at all different sizes and scales. One thing that Joel Salatin had said that stuck with me was that the the large-scale operations are, he thinks, are fragile. Uh, in other words, I think it, if you make a little mistake, it's huge. <laughs> you know. So if you're doing a million instead of six chickens and you do something wrong, um, it has so much more impact than just, you know, common sense that that might be, the, might be the case. Yes. So it's, um, it's, uh, I feel like you've been on my Instagram and I know you haven't, but uh, big is fragile is a, is definitely, uh, something that we all need to consider. And I think that it is something that the general population has become more familiar with, unfortunately, through the, you know, last few years of the pandemic. Um, I think, you know, the headlines about euthanizing hogs because we can't, you know, they're ready, they're at slaughter weight and we can't house them anymore. And we don't, you know, so I, I mean, just like all of those issues, you know, when we when we're talking about avian flu, I think that unfortunately, we as a country have a short memory and we have a little bit bit of amnesia. And I think some of the issues that came up and came to the fore uh, around the idea of supply and demand and food during the pandemic are things that we should be reminding ourselves of. We want food security. We want mm-hmm. to make sure that tomorrow we have something to eat. And if we're not producing it on our own properties, where are we going to get it from? And that doesn't mean just like when the supermarket shut down, but now, like today, like I want to get my pork from a pig farmer that isn't far from here, that doesn't have pigs in tiny pens, that raises them where you know they have the opportunity to do big things yeah. <laughs> until you know until they become my food um so i think you know that the pandemic experience is something that we can point to but i do feel like to some extent we've had some amnesia um mm-hmm. and i don't want to have any like you know epidemic pandemic like that that you know to bring us back there i want people to use their curiosity and their awareness to say, wait a minute, we don't want to be in this situation anymore. We want to make sure that our communities are knitted together with farms. That's great for us. That's great for them. And it's great for all those other things, the land, you know, the soil, our, you know, economies. Well, you're right. And People do vote when they shop and when they go to restaurants and when they when they go to the grocery store. You pointed out that all the messages that people can look for at the grocery store. And I'm always reminded by the fact that marketing agencies that are working with these companies that are putting stories on the packaging 
some people criticize and say, well, sometimes it's greenwashing or something like that. But the, I look at it differently. I look at it and say, they wouldn't be using that valuable real estate, which is a space on the packaging, unless somebody was looking for that. They Somebody wants to buy food that's produced in certain ways, and the marketers don't waste money. They're they're telling the story and they're making sure they have that kind of product because consumers are saying they care and they want to know more about how their food's produced. Yeah, I think that people are concerned about labeling. They are concerned mm-hmm. about greenwashing. And unfortunately, that's, you know, that's a reality. And again, yeah. I think it comes back to you as a consumer, are you curious? What does cage free mean? It means mm-hmm. the chicken isn't in a cage, but it doesn't mean the chicken's outside. It doesn't right. mean that it's poking around for worms and bugs like my chickens are, right? Yeah. So we have to be, you know, we have to be curious about that. And the best way to do that, I encourage people so heartily, is to get to know a farmer. Yeah. If you don't know one, it should be a goal for your year. And just know one farmer. It's a wealth of information. And I don't think that, you know, farmers don't have to have the answers to everything. They don't have to say, yes, I do everything organic, but they can talk to you about what they do, why they can't be certified. Maybe it's too expensive. Maybe they're too close to a road. And then you have, you know, you have grades of really understanding. Okay, well, this is how, you know, this is how farmer Roger does, you know, his pork. And I really respect how he handles that. And, you know, this farmer here, I like their eggs because this is what they do. So you also have an opportunity to hear things and then ask the farmer, do you know anything about this? And what I find, especially, um, I'm a big supporter of farmers markets, but I find that there in that market, and that's the one word I really love about farmers markets is that it's a marketplace. It means Mm -hmm. that you're growing this. And what I'd really like from my home country or, you know, I'd like longer carrots or I, why doesn't anybody grow bok choy? And then why can't I find that in this farmer's market? Um, And I think that, you know, it is a two-way street. Farmers listen. I mean, they're like the, you know, they're like big ag putting those labels on their, uh, on their meat, right? It's like, they're like, okay, well, my consumers, I'm hearing this over and over and over again, that they would like me to have more garlic. (laughs) So I'm going to actually plant more this year. Anyway, I just think that that is such a great opportunity for everyone, really, to know a farmer and for farmers to know us and what we care about very directly, directly. Yeah, absolutely. Right after I got out of college, I helped some farmer groups actually have farmers families go to supermarkets and pass out samples of their products in the stores and now they don't do that much anymore and it but it was very effective uh when you can get out there and make sure you're interacting too well you do a great job of getting that out there we're getting people invited to find out more about how their food is grown today and they can find out more listen to your podcast and I'm really happy we've had this chance to catch up because I'm I'm a fan of what you're doing. Remind folks again on where they can get more information or, you know, apply for the grants or 
find you on Instagram or the podcast? <laughs> okay. So uh, the Four Farmers Movement has a comprehensive website. It's fourfarmersmovement.com. My podcast is called Talk Farm to Me. And my Instagram is XOXO Farm Girl. Easy to find all of them. I yeah, really appreciate well, it, Roger. But I have a question for you. Oh, okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Will you give a dollar to support farmers in this grant round? Just one. Sure. Sure. Awesome. Sure. I'm going to send you a link. You can make your donation. And I hope that all of your listeners will join you. Right now, we have the opportunity to give 44 grants. We've only ever given 26. And in this round alone, we're giving a minimum of 44 grants to farmers across the country. And our fundraising efforts end the day before the announcement for the grants. So that would be our grants announcement will be November 20th, right before Thanksgiving. It's a Monday. I'll be doing that live on Instagram. Our fundraising efforts will stop the day before. So we're going to get as many of these farmers grants as we possibly can. And the nominations for them start on Thursday, October 12th. Uh, they start on the website or on Instagram. And um, it's super easy to nominate your farmer. So well, I want to point out, I think our podcasts tend to be evergreen. So there'll be people listening to this far after that date passes, but they'll have another opportunity. Hopefully you'll be doing it again in 2024 and 2025. And yep. so they can Every jump year. on the bandwagon. Every year. And we'll probably do some fun uh, reaching back into the pile of grants that weren't funded and trying to get some of those funded as we go forward before the next big round. But I'm thinking maybe Valentine's Day, you know, on some important times of the year when we should be able to say, you know, we love our farmers. Well, I tell you what, I think that a lot of farmers are happy they're being loved and you can count on my dollar coming your way. So I so appreciate it. Thank you. Dana DePrima, thank you for being on Farm to Table Talk. Thanks so much for having me, Roger. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 